Hello, my friends. Welcome to Word Made Digital. I'm Joanna LaFleur, and this is season six, episode nine. Season six, all about the fruit of the spirit. We are nine episodes in now, so we're coming up to uh, closer to the end. We are 12 episodes this season, so we've got a few more to bring you, and I do hope you lean into these conversations. Some great guests are coming up in the next few episodes, but we'd love to also hear from you. What have you liked? What do you want more of? What do you want less of? Uh, As we plan and prepare for fall 2021 and think about the new season, ahead. We're in prayer to think of how to offer you something of value. And of course, if you have feedback, we want to hear it. So please do let us know. It would be great to to have you engaged in the kind of content that we produce for you. And if you have some guests you want us to talk to, um, suggest them. We're we're here to hear from you. So on this episode of the podcast, we're talking to Danielle Strickland. She's back. She's been on the podcast before uh, because she's a friend and uh, we hang out and I uh, sometimes let uh, Mike come between us so that we can record all the brilliance that's in her mind. But today it's not just Danielle. We have her back with a team. She's working on a new project that's called Imbi in my backyard. And uh, we're going to be talking about the fruit of love and how to love your neighbors like for real. So not just love as a esoteric idea, but a a real thing lived out. So Imbi, they're going to tell us more about it, but in short, they're building homes on your own property to create not just housing that's affordable and sustainable for people who can't afford it right now, but also meaningful community and connection because we know loneliness is an epidemic and we can do something about it as Christians. So thanks to Compassion Canada and to waybase.com for making the season possible. Can't wait to tell you more about them later in the episode. All right, Danielle Strickland, if you don't know her, she's author, she's a global speaker, she's advocate for justice, she's co-founder of many things, and I call her friend. Also on this episode is Siobhan and Timo Koch. They, and along with Alicia Wilson, are friends, and they are in real estate, they do renovations, they build tiny homes, they're foster parents, adoptive parents, amazing humans, and I can't wait to introduce you to them as we talk about the subject of love. Here's my conversation with them. Welcome to the Word Made Digital Podcast with Joanna LaFleur. You're listening to Season 6. Word Made Digital brings you interviews with Christian creatives and communicators to inspire, challenge, and equip you in your own work. The church has the best news in the world, so we want to help you be the best communicators in the world. Here we go. Alicia, Siobhan, Timo, Danielle, welcome to Word Made Digital. I'm so pumped to have you. You might be my largest contingent yet on the podcast. So welcome. Thanks for having us. Um, You know, we can only see a couple of you. If people are watching a podcast instead of listening, I can see two of the four of you that I'm interviewing. But, um, oh, there's another, there's some other faces there. Um, Can you, um, in brief, introduce yourselves and maybe Alicia, can you explain how everyone is connected to one another on this call? Yeah. So my name is Alicia Wilson. Uh, I live here in Hamilton. And I live with my sister, who is my twin. Hello, I'm Siobhan. And my brother-in-law. Who is not her twin. Who is not my twin. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And we've been dreaming about tiny houses for quite a while. And so 
that's how kind of we got drawn into In My Backyard. And else, other person on this call, Danielle, can you introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm Danielle Strickland, and I'm uh, friends with these guys. We actually hooked up last year at a campfire at a camp introduced by a mutual friend of ours named Joanna LaFleur. <laughs> and uh, she, yeah, she introduced us because I was waxing eloquently about my desire to use the tiny house movement as a way to help people with affordable housing. And she's like, you've got to meet my friends. And then they happen to be here and like, let's have a campfire. And then out of that discussion launched a nonprofit that we're all part of called MB in my backyard. Okay, so Danielle, tell us about IMBI. I want to get behind it about why we do this and why this even matters, but but at its core, like what is this concept? Yeah, IMBI is about creating space in our lives and in our actual communities uh, for affordable housing and mutual flourishing with people different than ourselves. So we have an affordable housing crisis in all the major cities uh, across Canada, across North America. And uh, we have ample space in backyards everywhere. And there's this tiny house movement that is uh, ramping up and taking off. So we think all of these pieces actually could work together in a beautiful way to ensure not just really funky, cool, hipster, tiny houses that we can rent out at unaffordable rates on Airbnb to make more money, but actually could really fit together well to create room and space uh, for people that could really use affordable housing. And it could also answer some dilemmas that people with housing face, which is loneliness, anxiety, addiction, a lack of purpose and meaning and connection. So we just think there's this real opportune time to innovate in a beautiful kingdom way. So I yeah, want to dive more. Sorry, Timo, okay, since you're already <laughs> speaking, um, my first immediate thought and probably a lot of people listening is, okay, tiny homes, it sounds kind of cool, but also maybe illegal. Timo, can you speak to that? Like you're a builder, um, you're, you're more experienced. Obviously the rules are different everywhere, but can you talk to us around um, <laughs> the the legitimacy of being able to build these kinds of structures Um in, in a property. Yeah. So that, that's part of what we're trying to navigate, um, to figure out exactly what municipalities will allow and work together with cities and communities to pass new rules. Um, but right now, tiny houses as a portable trailer is something that does exist. Um, and backyard additional dwelling units of different forms exist, and there's legislation around that to allow them. Um, so our goal is to kind of combine the two concepts um, and create tiny houses in backyards that the city is happy with and the community is happy with and everyone um, in, is in agreement on. Um, we were saying we were watching something uh, about uh, additional dwelling units or laneway housing in Toronto. Um, and all of the ones that they were talking about building were huge. They're basically building a whole mm. nother house. Um, and that's kind of beyond the idea of what we're trying to do. We're trying to make things affordable, not hugely stand out and just try to fit um, others into our spaces. Right. But You're not really talking exciting. about luxury <clears throat> lofts. 
Right. Joanna, what's really exciting in this season is that, it, especially in Canada where we're located, is that Hamilton, Toronto, and Kingston have expedited bylaws to make additional huh. dwelling units in your own property um, uh, possible, affordable, permittable. So because everybody's feeling the reality <clears throat> of the crunch of affordable housing, it's a massive problem. Um, so it's kind of really green lighted in ways that it wasn't green lighted before, which is actually really good news for MB. And I mean, the question beyond the obvious, like, can you tell us a little bit of your stories? Siobhan, maybe you want to share some of the story of your side of things. Um, why, why would you want to do this? I mean, as a, as a family, that's kind of in a, not kind of, you are in a construction and real estate business. You could spend lots of time building lots of stuff for lots of people who have lots of money. (laughs) So what, you know, tell us the context of, of your own family and where you've been learning about this kind of stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, Alicia and I have really been given the gift of growing up in community our entire life. We um, had teenage parents, so we got to live in a multi-generational home with my grandma and grandma and grandpa and the rest of my mom's uh, seven siblings and multiple. My, I mean, my grandparents just had an open door policy in terms of people who were able to come and live in our home. And so at one point there was 14 of us living in one household. And, um, that is where we've what kind of grown up. I think the smallest, um, <laughs> we were all family. So okay. it was okay. <laughs> um, but because of that, we just have grown up in this space of, of living in community and, um, you know, even, then going to to university and trying to find affordable housing there meant having many people in one house and we kind of have carried that through and we are Timo and I are foster parents and really have tried to embrace like and then we adopted our son as well and we've just really tried to embrace like what does communal living look like what does multi-family you know dwellings look like and And I think recognizing that family is more than just your blood that we always grew up knowing that people could be added to your family even if they weren't blood and so I think that also informed a lot of that communal living Mm -hmm. and then I think this past year in pandemic where loneliness has just been on a rise for so many people and um you know we watched single friends be very lonely or even like people in bigger family units there's just a a different kind of loneliness and so yeah, in isolation. And so we really did try and embrace uh, what would it look like to, you know, when they said you could only hang out with your household, we are like, well, let's make our household <laughs> bigger. And um, over, so, over the year, just through different doors that have opened and different people that we've been connected with, our household has grown in a really unique way. And so um, we've got eight of- added seven. Yeah, we've we've got we've had quite a few people go through in and out of our doors this year, and um, at, currently we have eight people or nine people. I don't know how many people live in our house, but we have a lot of people living in our house, and so we've really seen God work just in in living in community through that way as well, which has been really and interesting. not just people, but kids too. I will add that you know people who have some dependency. Yeah, we have children, adults. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Danielle, uh, I mean, well, before I go to Danielle, I I mean, I, I've seen your 
life over many years as your friend. And I've seen what your life looks like. As you said, I met you when you were at your grandmother's house still as young teenagers. And um, you've always lived this open-handed way. I think you only you only know how to share your house. And, and so it makes sense. Like you're literally in a construction zone now as you're building more rooms in your home, right? You didn't mention that yet, but, but you're building space right now to make room for more people. Um, Danielle, I, I think some people will know you, but not this part of your life. Um, they may know you more as the upfront person, but not sort of how your domestic affairs happen like that. So maybe tell us a little bit about that's the wrong way to say it, but the point what is affairs? no affairs. This is, this is how we start. Shoot. That's right. Um, this podcast episode just like went way up in views. <laughs> um, you, I mean, when you're, um, when you're not traveling, uh, certainly most of us aren't right now. You have this whole other life that you live in your homes and how you've shared your homes. Can you talk a little bit about what that's looked like, you know, over the last 20 years for you? Um, where is this influence come from for you? You know, I think it's really interesting when I hear Siobhan and, um, and Alicia's backstory. I was thinking about my own parents who were both excluded kids my uh, mom was a foster kid and my dad was sort of in this weird illegal adoption situation. And uh, both of them unwanted um, and unwelcomed in really most social systems, including their own homes. And then the church really welcomed them and wanted them. And it was the first place they really felt like they were welcomed and they belonged. And then they kind of grew up with this ethos of like, we're our family's much bigger than the nuclear family. So even though we had a nuclear family, like we didn't have any extended family. I didn't really have any grandmas or grandpas or uncles or, well, I did, but they were all toxic. (laughs) So like our family was defined by these people in church, right? Like we had, and we had this massive family all across Canada. I moved all my life and just kept discovering more uh, people in inclusive community. And then as I grew up and actually had a family, I think I just, I don't want to live a small life. And I think that the temptation, the way things are designed in our world are for smallness. A small life is one that you can control and one that you're the center of, but actually it just leaves you really lonely and sad and disconnected. And I think we're, we're bearing the stats of that in reality. But even in my own life, I feel that way. The more autonomous my life becomes, the more lonely and sad it is. The more open my life is, the more shared my life is, the more connected my life is, the more meaningful it is, the more full it is. And so for me, community and openness and making space for people, both to give to people, but also to receive from people, um, is this mutual, what I would call mutuality, shared living. Uh, it's just a better way to live. So every time that my life has moved towards that like autonomous nuclear small life, I just rage against it because I know that even though that seems nice for a season, it's actually really uh, shallow and small in the end. And that's not the way I want to live. So I've had beautiful examples of this. I've tried, I've tried living in community in urban center settings where we shared like apartments and like shared daycare with one another. We created like shared communal 
uh, daycare co-ops and I've lived in cooperative housing. I lived in a condo in like a right next door to a housing estate so that I used all of my condo amenities for people in housing estates who didn't have them. And that was, that was awesome. (laughs) And, uh, I've used, you know, I've had people live, we've had with people live with our family all the time from students to interns to, you know, extended family members to friends Mm -hmm. of friends of refugees, you know, all it goes on and on because it's a better way to live. And it, and people often go, isn't that nice of you? And I'm always like, Oh no, this is not actually about me being nice. This is about me living a a life that's bigger than myself. Like this is, I'm receiving as much as I'm giving in these scenarios. Hmm. Yeah. Tim and I had a a couple of months ago, I was lamenting. I said, Timo, like, what if we get to a season when no one wants to live with us anymore? What will that be? And we feel like, we feel like we add amenities to our house or to our life to attract people to want to live with us. (laughs) (laughs) Please come and stay here because we love it so much and we get so much out of it. And soon after that lament, five more people moved in. So I, came to the point where I discovered it's not going to be an issue. <laughs> we got a hot tub, guys. <laughs> oh, it's on the list. <laughs> I, um, you know, I traveled with, with you, the Wilson Koch clan in Hawaii a couple years back. And, um, uh, as a single person, that's still one of our favorite vacations it was, we ever. had so much fun. You know, Timo, you, um, I can picture you driving us in this truck we rented, like oh, the rental car we had wasn't good enough to get up some mountain. It wasn't qualified, like it wasn't rated for this steep mountain. So we had to rent this other thing and really we're glad that you could drive it. Cause I, I would have been probably just even just car sick, let alone like skilled enough to drive up this incline and then back down when we all got, uh, altitude sickness, but <laughs> That went through the clouds. Yeah, it was stunning. But, um, you know, that that even at a glimpse of I've never lived with your family, but even in a in a vacation mode, how you didn't think let's just we as a couple or we as a family go on vacation. You literally threw this call out like who else might want to come and have a great time. And I I would suggest because we all went together, we actually did have a better time. Um, because you can do sting, you could still do things as a couple if you want, or you can as a family, but you can also then continue to include more people and have more chairs around the table. Um, even on vacation, you know, I think the place that I live is not, uh, um, not, I can't really house people where I'm living right now in a condo. It's not going to work, but there are other ways that people can be more thoughtful about opening their home and their lives to other people, um, but this Imbi thing that we're talking about today, um, Timo, can you speak at all to like what the deal is with housing? I mean, this housing for people who maybe aren't aware, don't read the news very much or just haven't had to move recently themselves um, as a realtor, you're selling and buying homes with people. What are you seeing in sort of the markets or the reality of of the cost of things right now? Yeah, I mean, on average, we're up about 30% year over year uh, in most areas of the GTA. Um, But anyone listening to the news, the housing prices are up across the country, rural areas, as well as urban centers. Um, So it's becoming harder and harder for people to break into the market as first-time buyers, and a lot of them are even giving up on it altogether. Um, 
we recently purchased a house with uh, Siobhan's cousin to help get them into the market because on their own, they couldn't buy a place. Um, and there's win-win situations like that that people can have. But otherwise, the affordability of housing is just making it a write-off for a lot of people. Um, and that just means we're going to have a lot of landlords that are making a lot of money and a lot of people paying a lot of rent, um, which is not good for the economy or society. Pausing the conversation with these amazing people to give you a practical way that you can do something about the things that are being stirred up in you. Do you want to do something to love other people. Compassion Canada has so many ways that you can do that. There's all kinds of things that you can do. You don't have to wait. You don't have to build the house in your yard. I mean, we would love if you did that with Imbi, but you can join other Canadians who are part of a movement of practical, ongoing compassion. They're transforming lives of children around the world. And I have seen it firsthand. I've been able to see this work and been touched and moved by it. The love that these people have a compassion and the way that they serve through the local church it's it's truly life-changing and it changes not just the life of one child but their family and then their whole their whole village and then ultimately their whole region there's people who've grown up out of this program and have become leaders at a national and even international level as a result of the opportunity they were given so you can be part of this you can do some practical life giving good visit compassion.ca slash good for more compassion.ca slash good okay back to the conversation with danielle siobhan timo alicia I mean, this whole episode, uh, the theme of this whole season, we're talking about the fruit of the spirit. And this episode that I've invited you to come hang out on is about love and how to not make the fruit of the spirit. out. Like love is this powerful and amazing thing, but can be made um, quite cheesy or lame <laughs> um, or just not tangible. It becomes just an idea in our heads. Like we should love people, but... Um, what I'm trying to, to get across with the conversation we're having is about what it looks like. So when you think about love and loving your neighbor, I'll throw this out to anyone who wants to answer, uh, what does that, what does that actually mean to you? What does it mean when you hear love thy neighbor? I think, uh, for me, the first thing that comes to mind is, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. who said that when he talks about love, he doesn't talk about sentimentality. Um, or even just feeling good about somebody else, like goodwill. Mm. He's talking about that feeling or sentimentality mixed with power and that love and power kind of personifies itself in this Christian ethic of love your neighbor. So it's not just like, oh, those poor people or, oh, I feel like everybody should be treated. It's actually using power to make that happen. So, um, I think that's kind of one of the, the principles of MB that we're trying to communicate is this, we have a way of loving. Uh, we have power and like we have economic power. I mean, we have a uh, homeowner power, right? We have uh, good community power. We have social power. We have intellectual power. You know, we have all this power and privilege. So many of us. Uh, that if we really wanted to love well and love our neighbors well, like Jesus summed up the entire scriptures as like love God and love your neighbor like you love yourself, we have to start figuring out how to use our power to serve others' needs. 
So, I mean, Timo just talked about the housing owner market, but, you know, one of our good friends that's kind of helped spur us on in this MB process is a newcomer to Canada who spends 70% of her money that she makes in her full-time job on rent, which leaves yeah. her 30% to live on. And that's what we mean by an affordable housing crisis. We don't mean, you know, we mean people literally living from paycheck to paycheck, wondering how they're going to buy meat uh, and what groceries they can buy and what they can't buy because they're actually having to pay that much of their uh, money into rent. And so to love her well means to create some equity, means to share some power, means to make possible for her to have an affordable rent that actually could build some financial security and equity and mutuality, dignity in her life. So I think for me, that's, you know, it seems like a complicated question in some ways and the most simple questions in other ways. What do I have that I could offer somebody to be able to treat them the way that I would want to be treated? Love looks like something in, in that mix. Uh, yes, I'm seeing Alicia, you're on the screen uh, in front of me here right now. And I'm thinking about you and even just some of, again, some of the story I know of your lives and when you kind of were introduced to church and Jesus, um, what is it about God's love or the, like the love of Christ that compels you? Like what, what has, what has it done in your life? Or do you remember when you encountered it for the first time? Yeah, I think for me, it, it comes down to that for me, the good news of the gospel. And I, I think recognizing that the, the good news of the gospel has to be good news for each mm. person, that if it's good news for me and not good news for someone else, then maybe it's not the good news of the gospel. Um, and I, I look at my life and just the way that Christ met me and recognize that so much of the the probably existential angst that I had of just feeling like I couldn't just live a self-centered life, that there had to be something more, um, was answered in knowing who Jesus was and the love that I received from him to then how could I not want to share that with others? And not just in a in a verbal way, but how could I not want to meet the needs? And I saw so much of how my grandparents met um, the needs of my parents and bringing Siobhan and I in to live with them, that there was always this overwhelming sense of seeing uh, how sacrifice and how their sacrifice had changed my life. And I think that when you recognize the sacrifice of others and we recognize the sacrifice of Christ, that then to be compelled to not sacrifice in my own life um, doesn't, it just doesn't feel like enough. And so I think so much of why I'm motivated to love people is because I've seen the sacrificial love play out mm -hmm. in my own life. Um, but also recognizing that that's really hard and that uh, loving people and living in community isn't this like easy, just wave a wand, it's all going to work out. Um, there's actually really hard moments and there's hard things to work through. And you're working with people who aren't perfect. Uh, and so loving never looks like this perfect uh, kind of hallmark uh, movie, Christmas movie yeah. way that, that it pans out. But there's actually a lot of 
nitty grittiness to to living with people and, and learning to love people. Yeah, I'm glad that you brought that up because it's definitely you know, where I hope to go in the conversation is that there's this idea of love or this idea of community. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, right? If you love your idea of community more than the people in the community, you're going to kill it. But if you love the people, like you're actually going to build the community. Um, you guys have been through, and maybe Siobhan can speak to some of this. You know, you guys have been through, um, lots of ups and downs in, what it looks like to love. I mean, I know Danielle too has lots of stories of heartache along the way of what it looks like to love people. So I don't know if you want to share any of that, if you want to give some example of what that's looked like. Um, but then also then like, how do you do it again? <laughs> Why do you keep doing it? Yeah. I mean, I think one of our one of our kind of harder moments of living community and loving was definitely um, through foster care. And for four years, we fostered a, um, a nonverbal autistic teen. Um, he moved in with us when he was 13, turning 14, and, and then stayed with us until he was 18. And that was difficult in all kinds of things, of things that we didn't necessarily expect Um I mean, even just the foster fostering him was I had worked with him for three years and came home one day and said, I think you're supposed to foster him. And then I said, no, <laughs> and I was like, we don't have yeah. time for that. And then she went and talked to Timo and Timo was like, yeah, sure. Which if it's not in Timo's maybe direct nature to agree to something so quickly or especially at the time and so that anyways then we started to get through the process of fostering and and kind of co-raising him alongside his biological family and the kind of institution of foster care but what we learned in that was just like the the amount of community that we needed for that to be mm. successful and that was you know having 20 hours of respite care to come and help us uh, a week by the end just because um, at some points he did become violent and I had a small child like Paul was so little at the time so to be home with him in that and then transitioning him out like that was a really difficult process but what we learned through it is just that one like we as adults have just the capacity for things that are hard in a very different way than children and would we have given up that opportunity to foster because it was going to be hard in the end? Definitely not. Like we learned so much about ourselves as parents. We learned so much about ourselves, um, just in how we kind of function within this community, uh, through that experience. And we wouldn't give up giving him a family for those years and to continue on that family connection, but it definitely, you know, wasn't easy. And to walk through that now kind of coming on the other side of, we've kind of recovered a little bit from the pain and feel like you're not right in the middle of, of as much of the pain that that was to, um, eventually have him go into a group home. But now kind of coming out of that, we're like, okay, so we can really process some of the things that we learned through that, through that experience. And I think in that experience, the, the three of us, Siobhan, Timo and I became much more of a family unit because when you're co-parenting, uh, when we were co-parenting him and he had so many needs, you just learned to communicate so much more. We had to learn to trust each other and, and rely on mm -hmm. each other so much more. And you also just learn how to kind of grieve as a family as we had to say goodbye to him. And so I think when we look back on it, 
our family unit became much stronger because of being able to to co-raise him for those four years. Um, You know, this is interesting, uh, Joe, because um, like what I feel like what they're expressing is so essentially true and hard for people to know unless you've done this, but love grows and it, it, it grows us. It doesn't just, it grows the world into a better place, but it also grows our capacity to love. That's why like when people end up being foster carers, you see, they end up making room for more foster kids. Like whenever you're in a room with foster care, you're always like that, or people start adopting kids. They start adopting more kids. Like you're, it's, it's the weirdest thing, but you keep thinking like, and, and I know this just even from having kids, you just think like, I could never love anyone more than I love this kid. And then all of a sudden you have another kid and you're like, I could never love anyone more than I could love these. Like, and then you'd like have another, and you're just like, oh my gosh, like <laughs> this love thing just grows, right? It grows us, it grows our capacity and it grows. And I think that's something, the other thing about that, I think that's really important is that it grows when you do it. Like, so I, we live so much in our theoretical minds. Like we, we think about loving people, but you mentioned this about Bonhoeffer. Like it's only when, when you're actually loving people that love actually begins to grow. And so you can't just think about loving people. You actually have to love people. That's what love is. It's, it's an action. It's action-based. And A.J. Jacobs wrote this book called A Year of Living Biblically. And I remember uh, where he just tried to keep all the rules of the Old Testament. It was like ridiculous, like, you know, but he was doing an interview. And I remember watching this interview and being so fascinated by what he shared because he said, they asked him what his biggest takeaways were of this year of living biblically. And he said, one of the things that surprised him so much that changed his life is he always thought that you should do things because you feel like doing them. And he said, what I, and if you felt like doing them, you should do them. That would make it more genuine. But he said, what I learned from having to do things is that the more I chose to do the things that I didn't want to do, the more I felt like doing them. So he's like, as I was compassionate because I was commanded to be compassionate, my compassion grew as Mm -hmm. I, you know, prayed because I was commanded to pray my desire what, you know, grew to pray. And I think this, when it comes to love, like as we love others and treat others, like we would like to be treated as we actually make space in our lives for others needs and uh, mutuality and contribution, the more we feel like doing it, you know, like, and the more we realize like, Oh, this is such a better way to live. Um, so I think in this regard, love is a choice. Uh, love is a choice and we choose it. We choose to be loving towards people. Uh, and we choose it because we're commanded to do it. And as we do it, you know, we, we recognize like, oh, I see why God wants us to do this because it's actually a better way to live. Interrupting the conversation with these amazing people one more time to talk to you about waybase.com. Waybase is bringing the church together for good. So if you're hearing this conversation today and you're feeling inspired by the ideas of how they're leveraging backyards, leveraging love for the sake of other people, how they're showing what love really looks like, you can do this. You already are doing this in your community as a ministry, but maybe you have no idea what else is going on in your community. And if this kind of thing like MB is inspiring you, you have no idea if this exact thing is happening in your community. That's why I want you to go online right now, go to waybase.com and claim your listing. If you're a ministry or church in Canada and you haven't claimed your listing yet, uh, 
it's probably already there, like 99% sure your listing is already there just waiting for you to claim it. And once you claim it, you have opportunities to make more impact. You can understand your community better, what's really going on. If you were to do things like Inbi Homes or other things like it, where should you do that in your region? What are the strategic places? What are the strategic needs? Imagine if you could figure out where the majority of single parent households were and you could think of creative ways as your church, but also the greater church or the ministries of your region to come together to serve the needs of those single parents. Often, of course, those are single moms who are really in a vulnerable place and their kids need mentorship, support, love, all the things. So go to waybase.com, claim your listing today and check out the ways that you can work together and bring the church together for good. I, I think of um, what I would have called like maybe the major crisis of my own faith in my earlier 20s, where I had grown up in this environment of church. And I just, you know, when I think of the fruit of the spirit that we're talking about in this whole thing, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, love the poor. <laughs> I just didn't see that many people doing it. And it was this crisis for me, like, is this real? Because if it's real, then why isn't it happening? Where is the fruit? Like, where is the fruit in the people around me who've been doing this for a long time? So, um, I mean, for some of us, there's more fruit than others. <laughs> uh, the Holy Spirit, like evidence, <laughs> evidence of the Holy Spirit in our life. Um, but what do you think is the environment? Maybe if it's the, if it's a, if it's a, if fruit is, could be a gardening metaphor, like what's in the soil to, because we can't force some of this. We can, um, you know, we can make some choices, but also there's this thing that the Holy Spirit does that nothing, like how do we kind of make ourselves ready for this fruit to be grown? Like what's the fertilizer? What's the. I don't know what's 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 in the water that makes this happen. Action mm. in one word. <laughs> Danielle, you can probably elaborate with more beautiful sentences than that, but Tim, well, you're saying I like mean, just do it. Timo, you elaborate in a life well lived. Yeah. yeah. You're just, well, you just you have to start doing something. Like do something good for somebody else and that'll start just it's like it's like when water creeps through a dam you have a little crack and then all of a sudden it comes rushing mm. through you just have to start doing it I think also you have to let go of uh, being prepared for it like in any many of the times that we've lived in community either when it was fostering or even when we were looking at adoption even this last um, so we now have a uh, a friend living with us who was recently homeless and his three children are here. And when he first came or Timo, I was away and Timo called me. He's like, listen, like it kind of came up quickly. He was like, the kids are probably going to need somewhere to live in the next mm. two weeks. What are we going to do? And, um, we were planning on a, a renovation for us to move into that space. And, um, I was like, well, I guess we're staying where we are and we need to figure out how to build an extra bedroom. And so there's all kinds of like, what ifs, like what if it's not enough space? What if we build this bedroom and children's aid comes in and says like, no, we don't want to do it. Or what if, you know, but all also, kinds of what ifs. also recognizing that you're never mm -hmm. ready to do something like that. So when you, 
you feel like urged to do an action that will help somebody else. Sometimes you just have to do it and then deal with the fallout afterwards in your own. Like for me, I have, I'm very introverted. And so living with a lot of people and getting to know new people, it's not my cup of tea. Um, and so my default is not this, but I always feel that God pushes me to do it. And then I grow as a result. Uh, Tim, I'm so glad you said it because I think a lot of people listening think that sounds great for the extrovert or that sounds great for people who have decades of experience of community life. But that's not how I was raised or that's just not in my natural approach to things. So for Imbi, coming back to Imbi and what you're trying to develop here, what not trying, you are developing here and inviting everyone into um, what what are you going to offer people to help equip them? Because of course you want it to be successful for people. You don't want it. To, you don't want people to fail or have a you know a disastrous relationship. So tell tell me about some stuff you've been thinking through about how to make this successful for for everybody getting involved. Well, one of the things that's kind of cool is, as you can hear, we all have a lot of experience trying to do this. So I think in some ways what's really cool about MB is you're actually, we're creating something out of experience that we wish we had had when we were starting. So like a lot of those things that we wish we had have understood, for example, uh, we're going to help create what's called a community contract where everybody is very clear on the, the, the roles and who's contributing and how they connect with each other and how this uh, new way of living together might, might work. Uh, even some financial models, uh, partnerships and collaboration, you know, I, uh, Siobhan and Alicia just shared, like, there's no way they could live this way without each other, without more than just themselves. Like it's not enough. So, uh, we are really big in community support. So that's built into the model of IMBI. There'll be somebody else that comes alongside a third party that creates more support, wraparound supports, uh, financial, um, Christians against poverty, food for the hungry, open homes, Hamilton, like all these collaborators that are coming alongside to say, we want to actually be part of, of helping people live this way. Um, so I think that's one thing. I think another thing is, um, the role of a prophet, you know, in society is not just to shout out what's wrong, but to reimagine what could be. And mm-hmm. I really feel like Imbi has a prophetic role in this season because I think we've just been through uh, a big season of exposure with what's wrong. And, you know, racism's wrong, a lack of diversity is wrong, disconnection's wrong, autonomy's wrong, like the way we've designed our lives, there's something wrong. And I think it's been exposed. So it's great because, but the problem is if you just have the exposure without any of the possibilities or the remedies, you just have a lot of despair. So for me, Imbi is like this kind of prophetic hope, a symbol of light. Like not only do we believe that this is wrong, but there's ways of doing it differently. And we can learn. Also, we're learning from cultures who do it differently. So some of our teachers have been people that we know from other cultures who know what it is to share and to be mutually collaborative and to, you know, not divide things up into autonomous parts. So we're all by ourselves. So I think we're putting collectively together a lot of experience and a lot of partners to say, man, if I was starting from scratch, I would want this uh, as a helpful tool because 
these are all the things that we know from experience that we could have used and would have needed to do this well from the beginning. So those are some of the things, uh, some of the things I think we offer. I love it. I love it. And even just as I, you know, had, um, an opportunity to watch this come together. Just, I would say the favor that there's been doors opening, that it seems like now, if you're talking about prophecy, prophetic, like now is the time because you've, you've had these open doors of opportunity and organizations coming alongside saying, yes, this is the thing. This is the time to do it. Um, so what kinds of people do you want to get involved? People are listening. Um, uh, what would be sort of the categories of ways that people can get involved are the kinds of people you want to talk to or you want people to, to message you on the website or whatever it is. Yeah, we kind of have three areas on the website, but there really is an endless, uh, like we want everybody involved. People can uh, give to MB. We really need some financial support. As you can imagine, that's where most of the prophetic dreamers need the help. So if you're an investor and you want to see a future in this and you really are committed to investing socially minded enterprises, this would be a good one. If you have a backyard and you're like, yes, this is something I want to do with my backyard. Please contact us. We need backyards, people who are willing to uh, experiment. If you're a church community or part of a community organization, a nonprofit, and you're like, oh, this really would work with what it is, contact us. Uh, if you're an expert in terms of like an electrician or a builder or a plumber, and you have the ability to ticket things and like build them to code, please contact us. We're looking for volunteer builders for some of our build days. Um, I think I've you think that's everybody? Yeah. I think that's everybody. And I think uh, what we try to do is the, the dweller in the house is somebody that is already in community. Um, mm. And so that's, you know, people will say, well, who's going to live in these houses? And I always say yeah. there is so many people that need these houses. Uh, there is no shortage of need at all. And so we are, we are designing these around uh, concepts of community. So these aren't just going to be like random folks that we find on the street and come bring to your backyard. <laughs> they're going to be, they're going to be people that have been in community, working with community that are uh, in need of these uh, kind of places and have some wraparound supports in their life. So you're not doing this by yourself. Yeah. I love that. I think part of that model of sustainability that you're talking about, which I think is more loving is that you're not just giving affordable housing. You're inviting people into a way an approach to life, a way of life maybe sounds too scary or intimidating, but an approach to how to live with community and connection to a network of people um, who are doing this with you. Um, you know, as we close, you know, I just, I've appreciated, there's so much here. Um, you, there's, uh, there's, there's so much we could talk about. I think we could, we, we, that's why we're friends in the long term. but I want people to hear the story of MB because I want people to catch a taste of what you're doing and imagine for themselves. I love Danielle, what you said about not just calling out as prophetic, what's wrong, but also reimagining. I hope people listening are reimagining. Um, Timo, I don't always do this, um, but Timo, I'm going to put you on the spot. I would love for you to pray for people listening um, and what this might be stirring up for them, because I, I'm hearing you say out of the group, maybe you're the, I just appreciate your honesty about being more reluctant, but letting God lead you. So I'd love for you to pray for other people who feel like you, <laughs> who think this is like never for them. 
uh, but nice for somebody else. Uh, would you just pray for people who are listening in on this? And we'll, we'll end with that. Lord, I thank you for um, this time that we've had together to chat. Um, and like Joanna said, there's more depth to this than uh, we can cover in an hour. Um, I thank you that you are part of this, that um, this is your action, not ours. Um, MB is something that we didn't dream up. It, it's kind of come together and I I feel like uh, doors have been opened that were not our doing. Um, and I pray that um, everyone listening, people who aren't listening, that as we try to build better community, that we would all be sensitive to uh, those little nudges that we feel. Um, sometimes we pass by people and we feel like we should do something or, or we encounter someone in, in whatever setting it is uh, and we don't respond to that. Um, and the more that people respond, the more uh, sensitive we are to it. Um, and I pray that you would just break, break people down in a way that allows them to be sensitive to, mm-hmm. to you moving. Um, but also we're super, I just want to thank you for how fun it is to live in community um, and for all the blessings that come out of that. And I pray that you would allow people to see a little bit of that um, and see the value that their lives could be so much better um, if they just open up a little bit and let people in. Amen. Amen. Timo, Alicia, Siobhan, Danielle, uh, thank you. I love how you love. Your love has uh, affected me to uh, deep places, and I'm very grateful for you in my life and uh, grateful for what you're doing. I'm inspired by it. I hope others are too. I can't wait to go uh, into one of these homes and like see how they really work in real life. So we'll stay tuned for more uh, people who aren't local. You know, we can check in on social media and, and follow this story and not just follow up, but get involved. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Take care. Thanks, Joanna. Thanks so much to that whole list of people. We don't usually have a group of people on the podcast. So it was fun to do a group interview with people who are dear friends and, and trusted in, in the work of love that they do as they um, bear much fruit in, in their community through MB and, and through all, you know, all the other ways that they're working. Thanks so much to Compassion and Waybase for making this podcast possible. I want you to check out the show notes, click on those links, take an action. Don't just listen, make some action items out of this episode, like go to those websites, but Hey, share this episode with a friend. If, if you know somebody who has a yard or they have a way that they can get involved in MB, uh, please connect them to this episode. It would be a, a real entry point for them to see what's going on. Next up on the podcast, we have an amazing person. His name is Krish Kandaya. We're talking about the fruit of goodness. Krish is from the UK. So he's got a beautiful accent and you're going to enjoy it. But more than that, he's a global spokesperson. He's an author. He's a political advocate. He's all about fostering and the well-being of children. He's a prolific writer. He's actually a doctor or a doctorate and he teaches and he speaks and he works every day in his home and outside of his home for the cause of fostering and well-being of children. So can't wait to talk to talk to Chris next week about goodness. See you next week. Thanks for listening to the Word Made Digital Podcast with Joanna LaFleur. If you like this content, hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode, rate it, and share this episode with your friends.